It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. I am your host, Ashley Frasca, and you know the second hour of the show to be the time when I have on a celebrity gardener. And this one has been months in the making, folks. I'm really, really excited to bring someone very special to you this Saturday. He has been so generous to take time out of his very busy schedule. A lot of you are going to know a Rolling Stone with Georgia Roots, this one here. A tree farmer, a conservationist, and a darn good musician, Chuck Lavelle. Hey, Chuck, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I got to tell you, I've had folks reach out on social media when I kind of threw it out there. You know, who are some Georgians that you would love to hear from that you know are in the gardening world? And your name came up more than once. So I think folks are going to be really happy to learn from you and all of the efforts you're doing with conservation and sustainability. Well, it's a real honor to be on. Well, you and your wife, Rose Lane, owners of the Char Lane Plantation down in Twiggs County, Georgia, and doing a little bit of research there, Chuck, in middle Georgia, her family, correct me if I'm wrong, has been in there, in, in that area, for almost three centuries. Is that right? Yes, Um Various factions of her family uh, all have deep roots in uh, Twiggs County. Some of the land goes back to land grants uh, from the king and has been passed through. And of course, a lot of that has been broken up through the years, but there is some fractions of that that Rose Lane still has. And uh, the actual land that she inherited back in 1981 from her grandmother was a tract that uh, her grandmother and grandfather purchased back in the 1930s. So when the grandmother passed away in 1981, she left that parcel of land to Rose Lane. And we eventually moved out and started to try to carry on this heritage of stewardship of the land. Tell me about the character of the plantation, because it seems that the two of you are just so deeply embedded in it and it in, in the two of you as well. When Rose Lane inherited the initial property, which was about a thousand acres, it was a diversified farm. There there was cattle on the place. There was row cropping going on, uh, and there was some timber as well. Row cropping and cattle farming, those kind of things seemed to be way too much day-to-day for me if I wanted to follow my musical career. And we started looking into all kinds of options. We looked into peach trees, pecan trees, nursery stock. But again, they all seemed like they were going to really require full-time operation. One morning, my brother-in-law, Rose Lane's brother, said, you know, if you guys are not going to plant this 50-acre field down the way that we normally plant on a crop, you might consider just going ahead and planting uh, trees on it. And boy, a light bulb kind of went off in my head. (laughs) And the first thing I thought of, uh, Ashley, was the connection of of music and wood. You know, where does that marvelous thing that's given me a great career and so much joy come from? And of course, from the resource of wood, as do most musical instruments. Then the other aspect of it was this is long term. It's not so much day to day. It's good for the earth, uh, carbon sequestration. Uh, wildlife, et cetera, et cetera. So it really fit uh, a lot of the bills that I was looking to personally try to accomplish. Conservation is so important, but how would you explain that to city folk or someone who's not really aware of what is involved in conservation? 
That's a great question. And, and let's start with the word sustainability, which is perhaps overused these days. Basically, what it means is you're going to be planting, growing, and managing more trees than you are going to be taking off the landscape. And if we can pause for just a second and think about, well, what else does that resource give us? Mm -hmm. Well, it gives us materials to make books, magazines, newspapers, packaging products. Uh, it, it gives us uh, materials to build our homes and schools and churches and offices, and it gives us uh, home and shelter to all manner of wildlife. Uh, we talked a little bit a minute ago about carbon sequestration. It, it cleans our air. It filters our water that goes into our rivers and streams. So it's hard to think of a resource, a natural resource, that is more important than trees and forests. The Georgia Forestry Association nominated you and Rose Lane as Tree Farmers of the Year in 1990. You won for the state of Georgia. And then in 1999, the American Tree Farm System selected you guys as National Outstanding Tree Farmers of the Year. So you've definitely done your part and you continue to do so. How did you decide when your brother-in-law had that idea what trees to grow? What fascinated you or how did you really get oriented with the trees that you ended up choosing? We wanted to do as much indigenous uh, as we could. We have to understand that the landscape uh, throughout the southeast has changed dramatically since European settlement. And uh, the original tree, the dominant tree uh, from Virginia down to East Texas throughout the eastern seaboard was longleaf pine. Uh, however, when th those forests were cut and the products used and agriculture came into the picture, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it was found in early stages that longleaf was a really fickle tree to reestablish. It has a very long taproot. It has to be planted very carefully. So the loblolly pine became more in favor, and that's the dominant tree that we see, at least in the uh, pine species across the southeast now. Of course, let's don't forget the Appalachian areas where you had uh, the wonderful American chestnut tree that mm -hmm. was lost to the blight. Right. Uh, however, the good news there is the American Chestnut Foundation does a wonderful job in trying to uh, reestablish that tree and the, the longleaf. I'd say about 20, 25 years ago, there began a effort through the Longleaf Alliance and through other uh, private landowners to say, well, let's see if we can bring the Longleaf back. And so a lot, a lot of the nurseries did great work in uh, growing what we now call containerized longleaf. And that is, instead of having a bare root, there is soil around that root. And so it makes it easier to establish and easier to grow. And uh, we've engaged in that. I think we have about 350 acres of longleaf that we've been planting over the last 15 years or so. And, you know, we would not be Southerners ourselves if we did not recognize oak trees and magnolia trees and of course the southern pines too. Chuck, give us some of maybe the diseases that everyone can recognize a pine tree, right? A lot of us are beginning gardeners, just getting acquainted with nature. What are some of the diseases or blights that we would need to be able to recognize that could affect our pine trees here in Georgia? Oh, well, that is a great question. In, in terms of insects, uh, there are three uh, insects that concern us. One is the Ips beetle, and the second is the uh, black gum turpentine beetle, and the third is the most feared, and that is the southern pine beetle. Uh, the Ips and the black gum turpentine beetle tend to only affect a tree or a number of trees in a relatively small area. 
just to uh, reiterate about the southern pine beetle, that guy can devastate a number of acres in a very short period of time. And so the the Georgia Forestry Commission does a great job of flyovers uh, with airplanes and helicopters where they're always looking down to see if they see brown spots. And they can warn a landowner, hey, it looks like you might have a outbreak on your place and uh, you try to attack it immediately. It's not just about trees and forests. It's about the big picture. It's the flora and the fauna within all the various plant life uh, that exists in ecosystems. It's always fascinated me to look at these different ecosystems and see how they operate and uh, how all the puzzle pieces fit together to, to make that system. Now, I'm speaking with Chuck Lavelle, world-renowned keyboardist for the Rolling Stones, at one point the Allman Brothers Band, just world-renowned. And now you can add TV host to your resume. And, Chuck, everything you just said about the whole ecosystem, absolutely correct. And you have ventured out of the southeast. You get to travel the country with your show, America's Forest, with Chuck Lavelle. And I think it's so important you're telling these families stories about tree farming and different aspects there what is the best thing that you get out of telling those stories for folks? It's been such a joy, Ashley. It really has. Um, we started this project of America's Forest uh, television program on PBS. There is just no uh, end to the subject matter of trees, forests, and, and everything within. So no shortage of content. Um, it is television, and it is entertainment. But we want it to be educational and uh, to you know, expose these wonderful stories of people that are working in our trees and forests. So anything from fire prevention, wildfire prevention to, uh, you know, people that work within the industry uh, or work in universities. And there's just so many stories to be told. I do have a new documentary. Yes, you uh, do, sir. Congratulations. (laughs) No, or December 1st. Is that still the release date? You do know. Thank you, Ashley. Yes, Uh, yes, it is. You can go to chucklavellethetreeman.com and see uh, the list of theaters. We are doing a limited theater release, and we're excited about that. It'll be in a couple of theaters in the Atlanta area. Uh, One that I know of is the famous Plaza Theater. There's three themes, if you will, to the film. One, of course, is the musical career. The other is my career in forestry and the environment. And the third, to me, the most important is a love story. Uh, Rose Lane and I have been married 48 years now. And uh, so I wanted that uh, story to come through as well. That is so important. So this documentary, Chuck Lavelle, The Tree Man, look for it out December 1st. And you just nailed down exactly what I was going to ask, the three aspects that it celebrates. Do you feel like there's any aspect of your life that maybe it missed? You're so complex and comprehensive in all that you're involved in. So did, did they hit all the high notes? <laughs> you did, absolutely. Listen, I just feel blessed to have these interests and to be able to do things uh, with those interests. And we're going to rock and roll. Don't worry about that. Well, Chuck, hang tight. We're going to roll right through a commercial break. And when I get you back on the other side, I want to ask you some tips for beginning gardeners, as well as some rapid fire questions. Folks can get to know you a little better. We'll be right back on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. Good Saturday morning. Have you looked outside yet? It's going to be a gorgeous day. Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitt says a high of 70 today and sunny lows only in the mid-50s. 
tomorrow, maybe partly to mostly cloudy, high again around 70 and low around 43. And the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Now, we're listening to my conversation with Chuck Lavelle. He's a world-renowned keyboardist. Yeah, he's played with the Almond Brothers, the Rolling Stones, Eric Church, Keith Urban, the Black Crows, Widespread Panic, just to name a few. Had a really good conversation with him about his documentary coming out December 1st, The Tree Man, and he's local here to Georgia. So my conversation with Chuck Lavelle continues now. It's the time to plant trees. What are some tips you have for our listeners? When the cold weather begins, and you certainly want to try to be done by, say, March or early March if possible, make sure that tree is in an area where you can get water to it, especially the first year or two. Uh, mulching is important, and just look after that puppy and have a good time with it. Rapid fire. First question, what's your favorite tree? (laughs) (laughs) Longleaf pine. That was the native tree in our area. I think it's a magnificent uh, tree. And the Charlene Plantation there, there's hunting, there's lodging. You and Rose Lane have animals. Your favorite dog? Oh, we have uh, two German German short hair pointers that are our uh, current pets that we love so much. They're both just capable, smart, uh, good retrievers, uh, good companions. So GSP, uh, German short hair pointers, babe and Flo, and I can't I can't choose between those two. They're they're both uh, great dogs. <laughs> All right, and so politician or president or whomever that you've worked closely with, that you would say has a really good record for attention to conservation and sustainability since that is so important to us no question president jimmy carter great man great conservationist incredible intellect great uh, passion for for conservation for ecology in general and just a brilliant man really glad to see that he is featured in the documentary chuck lavelle the tree man coming up we were so fortunate he's been a friend for many many years as you know the allman brothers band helped raise money for him back in the 70s running for president and you know we were just so proud of him he was a great governor I think he was one of the greatest presidents ever, and I'm just, we're all blessed that he's still here on this planet. Lastly, I have to ask you your favorite song to play. Ah, well, that's like picking a favorite child. I know. You know? <laughs> but uh, I'll I'll say Jessica. You know, Jessica was a, a nice instrumental hit with the Allman Brothers Band. It, it was a great vehicle for a piano player. It gave me a nice spot. I get a lot of comments on the song, and and I'd never get tired of playing it. But uh, the other one that I have to mention, my hero, Ray Charles, uh, nailed and made famous, and that is Georgia On My Mind. I love it. Well, Chuck Lavelle, I'm definitely going to have something out on social media right after our conversation this morning about all the different avenues where folks can find you. A link to the uh, television show, America's Forest with Chuck Lavelle. A link to the documentary coming up again, folks, coming out December 1st. It has been a great honor of mine to talk to you. I know you've got work to get back to. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate the invitation to talk to your wonderful listeners out there. Bye-bye. Chuck Lavelle is fantastic. Thank you so much. So we are back live and coming up with Pike Nursery at the bottom of the hour. Poinsettias are traditional, paired with Christmas and so many unique varieties, but a great plant to transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So talking about that and more in your calls at the bottom of the hour, 404-872-0750 on WSB. Green and 
Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Another half hour to go here on Green and Growing. Good morning at Dave Baker coming up at 9 o'clock with the Home Fix-It show. And we want your garden calls, your garden questions. You've still got time, 404-872-0750 to join us. And at this time, every Saturday morning, we bring on Pike Nursery. There are so many plants that are proudly grown here in Georgia. So many farmers that are able to successfully do so. And they're sold all over the world. And many poinsettias are grown at the Pike Farm in Ringgold, Georgia. Who knew? So when you buy poinsettias at Pike Nursery, they didn't come from too far away. And to talk all about poinsettias today, we're ready for the holidays. We've got a seasoned pro, Kara Mulvey, manager of the Holcomb Bridge Store. Good morning, Kara. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So we began last weekend with really starting to talk about that transition into the holiday season, we're ready. I mean, Halloween's over. The mm-hmm. rest of the year is just on fast forward, I think. So today, a very good holiday plant that folks can use to transition from this fall, this autumn time, into Christmas time. Yeah. We're going to talk about poinsettias. Poinsettias are great. They're traditionally for Christmas, but we do have a bunch of varieties that can be that tr- transition plant from Thanksgiving into Christmas. Um, They add a great pop of color in your house, and they're wonderful, and they're pretty easy to take care of at that. You know, they really are, just like many other houseplants. We we treat them as houseplants for the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. They really need to be placed in the right spot in the house, right, Kara? They don't want to be near a drafty window or near a vent Mm -hmm. where just that dry heat's going to be on them. So, But we don't need to place them in a sunny window. They do okay, don't they? Yeah, they're fine, um, especially because of how short-lived the plan is. You're okay putting it wherever you kind of want it, but definitely keeping it away from that drafty window. It does not like anything below about 50 degrees. They start to wilt, and they don't look good anymore. Um, So keeping it away from entry doors or draft windows or anything like that. Um, And you want to keep it away from air vents because you don't want to dry it out too much as well. And hopefully everyone out there listening knows exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about a poinsettia or a poinsettia, as some of you say, traditionally a red plant, really bright, associated with Christmas and the holidays. But these aren't actually flower petals. Maybe some folks don't know that, Kara. Explain that. So the flower on a poinsettia is actually the yellow center. What you're seeing, the beautiful colors and all those, those are actually called bracts. And that is what you get, like, the color from the poinsettia. It's not technically a flower. That's so interesting. So it's not really a flower petal at all, but just a different colored leaf. So give us some of the names of the different varieties that we may see in the Pike Nursery locations. Marble would be a great one. It has a little bit of red and a little bit of yellow in it. Um, It is a perfect Thanksgiving to Christmas transition poinsettia. Um, It's absolutely beautiful. Then you have tapestry, which is the the main bracts on it is going to be the red, like your traditional red poinsettia. But the beautiful thing about those is that they have a variegated foliage underneath. And they just have some yellows and nice greens. And that would be a nice 
plant to have around the Thanksgiving table. Kara, some really fantastic names, vibrant names of the varieties of some of the different poinsettias you guys are going to have in stock starting now at all Pike Nursery locations. They're already potted, obviously. We're going to take them home in a pot. They're not just loose in soil, but uh, we can maybe mix it up and buy a different pot. What are we looking at there as far as the um, pottery at the nurseries? So we do carry your standard Christmas sleeve. Um, They are inexpensive. It's like a shiny foil hat that you put around the base. And we carry an assortment of colors of those. But we do have some inexpensive pottery that we have around the poinsettias. We have some birch containers. So it looks like birch wood. Um, We have some, you know, neutral colored pottery. And we have a large assortment of indoor pottery that'll make that poinsettia look just a little bit better. I love it. A ton of different ways to dress these things up. Pick up a few, too, to give out as hostess gifts if you're doing small gatherings with friends and family. And pre-order everything you need for Christmas. For the first time ever, Pike Nurseries is offering pre-ordering for fresh Christmas trees. So stay tuned to find out when they're in store. But you can go ahead and start pre-ordering online now for delivery or curbside pickup. Kara, how is all of that going to work for folks? It's really easy. It is. If you go on our website, you can see where you can shop now for Christmas. Um, you can pre-order wreaths, roping. You can pre-order your Christmas trees or poinsettias. And we can do all those online orders. And once those items have arrived, our online order representative will call you and they will run down the list with you, make sure that is what you're wanting. We can gather it and you're more than welcome to do a curbside pickup. And we also deliver as well. So it's starting to look a lot like Christmas at Pike Nursery for sure. Christmas trees are soon to arrive, but we've got the holiday poinsettias, fresh garlands and wreaths soon to arrive as well. Ornaments, decor, and all of that. How do I find my nearest Pike Nursery, Kara? You can go on pikenursery.com and find our locations. All 19 stores are on there, and we are open Monday through Sunday, 9 to 6, and we have a vulnerable hour from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. All right. Kara Mulvey, General Manager of the Holcomb Bridge location there in Alpharetta. Hey, thanks for getting up early for us today. Yeah, of course. I'd be happy to do it. Excited to talk to you next Saturday about the big delivery. (laughs) We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you to Pike Nurseries for always coming on and sharing some really exciting new garden things, whether it's plants or flowers or items that they've got in the nursery. Definitely worth checking out. Open every day of the week from 9 to 6. 404-872-0750. Back to some of your garden questions this morning. Gail calling from Dawsonville. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, I have uh, either an angel trumpet or a devil trumpet. I don't know how to tell the difference between them. But mine is like eight, nine feet tall with lots of branches coming out. But I see some that are small that look kind of like uh, weeping peach or cherry trees. Can I cut it so that it would look like that, or or once they're tall, they have to stay tall? So angel trumpet has more of a long tubular flower, and they hang completely, you know, facing down. And datura, devil's trumpet or moonflower, the the flower looks a little more like a flower and not so much like a trumpet. Do you think that helps you determine which one you've got? Yes, I have the devil. Okay, okay, yep, so, or moonflower or whatever, so... Um, those will, you know, definitely not do well in our zone over winter. So you do want to bring them in. And how big did you say it is? 
It's eight nine feet tall. It's huge. Ah. Lots and lots of blooms. Wow, yeah, that's huge. So um, you can prune it back now just to make it a little more manageable for bringing inside. But really, I think the bulk of the pruning is done kind of like early spring. That way it's got all of that warm weather through the spring and the summer to set back all the new growth and buds and all that kind of thing. So yeah, prune it back, cut it back, whatever you need now just to make it manageable and move it inside. Okay, then I have the other one. The one that has the big, long trumpets that are kind of yellow and they're hanging down. Yeah, okay. And um, and that's the one that I see where people have them really short. So once they start growing, because I know those go all the way down in our area. Once that starts growing, do I cut it at like five feet to keep it at five feet? Or can you not cut it? At, will that stunted or something you know yeah angel trumpet is kind of starting to finish off blooming right now um and i pass this one house in woodstock almost daily and they've got three huge angel trumpet plants right in front of their like up against their the front of their home and they just cut them back like i drove by and it was almost startling to not see them anymore they cut them back to nothing which I had not seen done, but they come back every year. So they've got luck with that, but a lot of folks are a little more protective of it. Um, so I think, I mean, Dawsonville, you're you're a little bit higher altitude for sure, Gail, but I think it would be okay. Um, and it's not potted, right? No, it's out in the yard and it dies back and mm-hmm. I take cuttings and then I root them and then I have extra ones. But um, I, I'm wondering if I can cut, I know it, it, I cut it back in the in like now mm-hmm. or yeah. when they all die down. But I'm asking in the spring, is it okay to cut it back like you would a regular bush and then have it be smaller instead of the eight, nine feet tall? I think so. Yeah, I think the same goes for uh, the Datcher or what we talked about with the Devil's Trumpet. Same kind of thing, Gail. I think you may have some luck with that. It's got to be pretty early spring, though. Um, once the chance for frost has has passed, because you don't want to make a prune too soon, and then it come and you know hit freezing temperatures within the next seven or fourteen days after you've cut and left it really vulnerable. I think that's going to be fine. Yeah, if anybody has anything different for Gail, certainly call in now. But as long as it's got the late spring and summer and all of that, that is going to be setting you know the blooms to come on like this time of year, like it has been. That should be fine. It should be a lot more manageable for you just to to cut that back. So cool. Very. Very good plants you got there, Gail. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750. Rick in Roswell. Good morning. Hi, Ashley. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. And I like your show. It's very good. Thank you. Um, so I have a poinsettia question for you. Good. Um, since they don't like the dry air, the dry heat, et cetera, and since in the wintertime the air in the home seems to be drier than normal anyway because of the furnace running and that low humidity outside, do you think it would be a good idea to mist a poinsettia maybe once or twice a day just to keep the leaves moist to sort of give the plant uh, the idea that maybe it's in a humid environment even though it really isn't? Yeah, that might work out just well, just just fine to mist them, absolutely. And tips from Pike Nursery since we just talked about them. Um, watering them down at the soil level too, you know, Rick, when they do need watering, not overhead watering, that goes for a lot of things outdoors too, but... Um, Also, just when you first 
get it, you know, if it's dried out a little bit at the nursery or the store where you get it from, let it uh-huh. sit in the sink for 10 to 15 minutes and just give it a really good soaking and then let it sit in the sink to drain out and then put it back in that foil sleeve or that pot or whatever. Just get it off to the right start. But that is a good idea because we know the dry heat, having the heat on in the house, can dry those out so quickly and you're going to be picking up the the leaves almost every single day. So, yeah, walking, walking past it with a misting bottle, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Okay, great. I'll do that then. All right. And have you ever tried to uh, keep one, Rick, and have it come back the next year? Actually... I, um, my neighbor gave me one about a year ago and, uh, I've still got it. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. How did and, you, where did you How do you get it? the leaves to turn? I mean, they're all, the leaves are green. Is there anything that you do to make the leaves turn red or is, or is that like past for me? Yeah, I think it's past now, but oh my gosh, that's why I asked. Good for you. At least keeping it alive. A, but yeah, in order for the color to change, it gets to the point where you have to have, I think, like literally 12 hours of darkness, 12 hours of daylight. So there's this long process. You can find it on WalterReeves.com if you just type in poinsettia, like how much daylight it's getting. And then it needs to be total dark, like under a cardboard box or in a closet. And if you missed doing that, giving it equal parts of darkness and daylight, that's probably why the color is not changing there. The the bracts are what change color from a green leaf to a red or pink or white leaf. So, But hey, still, it's alive, it's green, it's pretty, so good for you, Rick. Thank you for calling. All right, we'll get to Gwen and Brookhaven here in just a couple of minutes. Going to step away, check traffic and weather, and we'll be back on Green and Growing. Wrapping up the show, and I want to talk to Gwen about her monkey grass. But first, a weather update today and tomorrow. Sunny with highs in the 70s and lows anywhere between the mid to lower 50s. And you may see a few more clouds tomorrow than today. Green green, and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, just for you today, you can plant your spring flowering bulbs. Just put them in a place where they're out of direct sun of the midday. And as you've got those little holes dug, sprinkle a little 10-10-10 fertilizer in the soil and mix it in. And they'll be very happy. Number two, rough plow or spade garden plots that contain heavy clay soil. Start thinking about working through that. Add organic matter or lime if you've had a soil test and you know you need that. Leave the soil kind of rough. Just leave it over the winter. The thawing and the freezing is going to break up some of the clay and kill some of the insects that tend to overwinter in that soil. And number three, you can move a lot of your plants inside if you haven't already. Be leery, though, of having them too close to a vent once we really crank up the heat inside the house and have them in the proper sunlight. You need to know the difference between the ones that need highlight, so they need to be right in front of a bright sunny window or low light, the ones that may be okay in the bathroom or the kitchen where they don't get as much sun. All right, we quickly have time for Gwen and Brookhaven. Good morning. Hi, Ashley. I hope you can help me. Sure. I have a patch of liriope, or monkey grass, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that has just crawled there unwanted, and it's gotten bigger and bigger. It's about 4 by 12 feet. I want to get rid of it. How can I safely get rid of it? Ah, 4 by 12 feet, and in no time, Gwen, next spring it'll be, uh, you know, at least 50% of that in in an increase because it— it grows, you know, an active growth that sets out roots and just keeps growing and growing. And what I have found, the variegated monkey grass or liriope, 
does not spread. But yeah, the solid green does. So one way is just digging it out. You've got to go down at least, I would say, eight inches to really get all those root clumps. Dig it out with a flat blade shovel, and that's going to take some time. But also, if you do a barrier, it can be soil, it can, or it can be plastic, it can be landscape fabric. Put that barrier down into the ground a good 12 to 18 inches, and that's going to stop it from spreading if you want to do it as a barrier. I hate recommending using Roundup, and Roundup's going to get to other things around it, and that's still not really going to combat how deep it is down in the soil. So, Gwen, a little at a time, but honestly, just going at it with a shovel and digging and digging and throwing it away into the woods, sharing it with somebody. I hope that helps. I know that's probably not the news you wanted to hear, but we got to get out of here and make room for Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show. It's been a fun Saturday. Next Saturday, I'll have Clint Walsh from the University of Georgia, Lance Walheim from BioAdvanced, and more of your garden calls. So take care, have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.